Welcome to this Uvula Audio presentation of Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor. Volume 4, Chapter 5 That evening, Hayes drove his car around the streets until he found the blind man and the child again. They were standing on a corner, waiting for the light to change. He drove the Essex at some distance behind them for about four blocks up Main Street and then turned it after them down a side street. He followed them into a dark section past the railroad yards and watched them go up on the porch of a box-like two-story house. When the blind man opened the door, a shaft of light fell on him, and Hayes craned his neck to see him better. The child turned her head slowly as if it worked on a screw and watched his car pass. His face was so close to the glass it looked like a paper face pasted there. He noted the number of the house and a sign on it that said, Rooms for Rent. Then he drove back downtown and parked the Essex in front of a movie house where he could catch the drain of people coming out from the picture show. The lights around the marquee were so bright that the moon, moving overhead with a small procession of clouds behind it, looked pale and insignificant. He got out of the Essex and climbed up on the nose of it. A thin little man with a long upper lip was at the glass ticket booth, buying tickets for three portly women who were behind him. Gotta get these girls some refreshments too, he said to the woman in the ticket booth. Can't have them starve right before my eyes. I eat card, one of the women hollered. He keeps me in stitches. Three boys in red satin lumberjackets came out of the foyer. Hayes raised his arms. Where has the blood you think you have been redeemed by touched you? He cried. The women all turned around at once and stared at him. A wise guy, a thin little man said, and glared as if somebody was about to insult him. The three boys moved up, pushing each other's shoulders. Hayes waited a second, and then he cried again. Where has the blood you think you have been redeemed by touched you? Rabble rouser, the little man said. One thing I can't stand, it's a rabble rouser. What church you belong to, you, boy, there? Hayes asked, pointing to the tallest boy in the red satin lumber jacket. The boy giggled. You then. He said impatiently, pointing at the next one. What church you belong to? The Church of Christ, the boy said in a falsetto to hide the truth. Church of Christ, Haste repeated. Well, I preach the church without Christ. I'm a member and preacher to the church where the blind don't see and the lame don't walk and what's dead stays that way. Ask me about that church and I'll tell you it's the church that the blood of Jesus don't foul with redemption. He's a preacher, one of the women said. Let's go. Listen, you people. I'm going to take the truth with me wherever I go, Hayes called. I'm going to preach it to whoever will listen at whatever place. I'm going to preach there was no fall because there was nothing to fall from and no redemption because there was no fall and no judgment because there wasn't the first two. Nothing matters but that Jesus was a liar. 
The little man herded his girls into the picture show quickly, and the three boys left. But more people came out, and he began over and said the same thing again. They left, and some more came, and he said it a third time. Then they left, and no one else came out. There was no one there but the woman in the glass booth. She had been glaring at him all the time, but he had not noticed her. She wore glasses with rhinestones and the bows, and she had white hair stacked in sausages around her head. She stuck her mouth in the hole in the glass and shouted, Listen, if you don't have a church to do it in, you don't have to do it in front of this show. My church is the church without Christ, lady, he said. If there's no Christ, there's no reason to have a set place to do it in. Listen, if you don't get from in front of this show, I'll call the police. There's plenty of shows, he said, and got down and got back in the Essex and drove off. That night he preached in front of three other picture shows before he went to Mrs. Watts. In the morning he drove back to the house where the blind man and the child had gone in the night before. It was yellow clappered, the second one in a block of them, all alike. He went up to the front door and rang the bell. After a few minutes, a woman with a mop opened it, and he said he wanted to rent a room. What do you want? she asked. She was a tall, bony woman resembling the mop she carried upside down. He said he was a preacher. The woman looked at him thoroughly and then looked behind him at his car. What church? she asked. He said the church without Christ. Protestant? she asked suspiciously. Or something foreign? He said no ma'am, it was Protestant. After a minute she said, Well, you could look at it. And he followed her into a white plastered hall and up some steps at the side of it. She opened a door into a back room that was a little larger than his car, with a cot and chest of drawers and a table and a straight chair in it. There were two nails on the wall to hang clothes on. Three dollars a week in advance, he said. There was one window and another door opposite the door they had come in by. Hayes opened the extra door and expected it to be a closet. It opened onto a drop of about thirty feet and looked down into a narrow, bare backyard where the garbage was collected. There was a plank nailed across the door frame at knee level to keep anyone from falling out. A man named Hawks lives here, don't he? Hayes asked quickly. Downstairs, front room, she said, him and his child. She was looking down into the drop, too. There used to be a fire escape there, but I don't know what happened to it. He paid her three dollars and took possession of the room, and as soon as she was out of the way, he went down the stairs and knocked on the Hawks' door. The blind man's child opened it a crack and stood looking at him. She seemed at once to have to balance her face so that her expression would be the same on both sides. It's that boy, Papa, she said in a low voice. The one that keeps following me. She held the door close to her head so he couldn't see past her. The blind man came to the door, but he didn't open it any wider. His look was not the same as it had been two nights before. It was sour and unfriendly, and he didn't speak. He only stood there. Hayes had got what he had to say in mind before he left his room. I live here, he said. I thought if your girl wanted to give me so much eye, I might return her some of it. He wasn't looking at the girl. 
He was staring at the black glasses and the curious scars that started somewhere behind them and ran down the blind man's cheeks. What I give you the other night, she said, was a looker indignation for what I seen you do. It was you give me the eye. You should have seen him, Papa. He looked me up and down. I started my own church, he said. The church without Christ. I preach it on the streets. You can't let me alone, can you? Hawk said. His voice was flat. Not much like it had been the other time. I didn't ask you to come here. I ain't asking you to hang around, he said. Hayes had expected a secret welcome. He waited, trying to think of something to say. What kind of preacher are you? He heard himself murmur. Not to see if you can save my soul. The blind man pushed the door shut in his face. Hayes stood there a second, facing the blank door. Then he ran his sleeve across his mouth and went out. Inside, Hawks took off his dark glasses and from a hole in the window shade watched him get in his car and drive off. The eye he put to the hole was slightly rounder and smaller than his other one, but it was obvious he could see out of both of them. The child watched from a lower crack. How come you don't like him, Papa? Because he's after me? If he was after you, that would be enough to make me welcome him, he said. I like his eyes. They don't look like they see what he's looking at, but they keep on looking. Their room was the same size as Hayes's, but there were two cots and an oil cooking stove and a wash basin in it and a trunk that they used for a table. Hawk sat down on one of the cots and put a cigarette in his mouth. Damn Jesus, Hog, he muttered. Well, look what you used to be, she said. Look what you tried to do. You got over it. So will he. I don't want him hanging around. He makes me nervous. Listen here, she said, sitting down on the cot with him. You help me to get him. Then you go away and do what you please, and I can live with him. He don't even know you exist, Hawk said. Even if he don't, that's all right. That's how come I can get him easy. I want him and you ought to help, then you could go on and off like you want to. He lay down on the cot and finished the cigarette. His face was thoughtful and evil. Once while he was lying there, he laughed, then his expression constricted again. Well, that ought to be fine, he said after a while. That might be the oil on Aaron's beard. Listen here, it would be the nuts. I'm just crazy about him. I never seen a boy that I liked the looks of any better. Don't run him off. Tell him how you blinded yourself for Jesus. Show him that clipping you got. Yeah, the clipping, he said. Hayes had gone out to his car to think, and he had decided he would seduce Hawks' child. He thought that when the blind preacher saw his daughter ruined, he would realize that he was in earnest when he said he preached the church without Christ. Besides this reason, there was another. He didn't want to go back to Mrs. Watts. The night before, after he was asleep, she had got up and cut the top of his hat out in an obscene shape. He felt that he should have a woman, not for the sake of the pleasure in her, but to prove that he didn't believe in sin since he practiced what was called for. But he had had enough of her. 
He wanted someone he could teach something to, and he took it for granted that the blind man's child, since she was so homely, would also be innocent. Before he went back to his room, he went to a dry goods store to buy a new hat. He wanted one that was completely opposite to the old one. This time, he was sold a white Panama with a red and green and yellow band around it. The man said they were really the thing, and particularly if he was going to Florida. I ain't going to Florida, he said. This hat is the opposite from the one I used to have, is all. You can use it anywheres. It's new, the man said. I know that, Hayes said. He went outside and took the red and green and yellow band off of it and thumped out the crease in the top and turned down the brim. When he put it on, it looked just as fierce as the other one had. He didn't go back to the Hawks' door until late in the afternoon, when he thought that they would be eating their supper. It opened almost at once, and the child's head appeared in the crack. He pushed the door out of her hand and went in without looking at her directly. Hawks was sitting at the trunk. The remains of his supper were in front of him, but he wasn't eating. He had barely got the black glasses on in time. If Jesus cured blind men, how come you don't get him to cure you? Hayes asked. He had prepared this sentence in his room. He blinded Paul, Hawks said. Hayes sat down on the edge of one of the cots. He looked around him and then back at Hawks. He crossed and uncrossed his knees, and then he crossed them again. Where'd you get them scars? he asked. The fake blind man leaned forward and smiled. You still have a chance to save yourself if you repent. I can't save you, but you can save yourself. That's what I've done already, Hayes said, without the repentant. I preach how I've done it every night on the... Look at this, Hawks said. He took a yellow newspaper clipping from his pocket and handed it to him, and his mouth twisted out a smile. This is how I got the scars, he muttered. The child made a sign to him from the door to smile and not look sour. As he waited for Hayes to finish reading, the smile slowly returned. The headline on the clipping said, Evangelist Promises to Blind Self. The rest of it said that Asa Hawks, an evangelist to the Free Church of Christ, had promised to blind himself to justify his belief that Christ Jesus had redeemed him. It said he would do it at a revival on Saturday night at 8 o'clock, the 4th of October. The date on it was more than 10 years before. Over the headline was a picture of Hawks, a straight-mouthed man of about 30, with one eye a little smaller and rounder than the other. The mouth had a look that might have been either holy or calculating, but there was a wildness in his eyes that suggested terror. Hayes sat staring at the clipping after he had read it. He read it three times. He took his hat off and put it on again and got up and stood looking around the room as if he were trying to remember where the door was. He did it with lime, the child said, and there was hundreds converted. Anybody that blinded himself for justification ought to be able to save you, or even somebody of his blood, she added, inspired. Nobody with a good car needs to be justified, Hayes murmured. He scowled at her and hurried out the door, but as soon as it was shut behind him, he remembered something. He turned around and opened it and handed her a piece of paper folded up several times into a small pellet shape. 
Then he hurried out to his car. Hawks took the note away from her and opened it up. It said, Babe, I never saw anybody that looked as good as you before, is why I came here. She read it over his arm, coloring pleasantly. Now you got the written proof for it, Papa, she said. That bastard got away with my clipping, Hawks muttered. Well, you got another clipping, ain't you? She asked with a little smirk. Shut your mouth, he said, and flung himself down on the cot. The other clipping was the one that said, Evangelist's nerve fails. I could get it for you, she offered, standing close to the door so she could run if she disturbed him too much. But he had turned toward the wall as if he were going to sleep. Ten years ago at a revival, he had intended to blind himself, and two hundred people or more were there, waiting for him to do it. He had preached for an hour on the blindness of Paul, working himself up until he saw himself struck blind by a divine flash of lightning, and with courage enough then he had thrust his hands into the bucket of wet lime and streaked them down his face. But he hadn't been able to let any of it get into his eyes. He had been possessed of as many devils as were necessary to do it, but at that instant they disappeared, and he saw himself standing there as he was. He fancied Jesus, who had expelled them, was standing there too, beckoning to him, and he had fled out of the tent into the alley and disappeared. Okay, Papa, I'll go out for a while and leave you in peace, she said. Hayes had driven his car immediately to the nearest garage where a man with black bangs and a short expressionless face had come out to wait on him. He told the man he wanted the horn made to blow and the leaks taken out of the gas tank and the starter made to work smoother and the windshield wipers tightened. The man lifted the hood and glanced inside and shut it again and he walked around the car stopping to lean on it here and there thumping it in one place and another. Hayes asked him how long it would take to put it in the best order. Can't be done, the man said. This is a good car, Hayes said. I knew when I saw it that it was a car for me, and since I've had it, I've had a place to be that I could always get away in. Was you going someplace in this? the man asked. To another garage, Hayes said, and he got in the Essex and drove off. At the other garage he went to, there was a man who said he could put the car in the best shape overnight because it was such a good car to begin with, so well put together, and with such good materials in it, and because, he added, he was the best mechanic in town, working in the best-equipped shop. Hayes left it with him, certain it was in honest hands. Chapter 7 the next afternoon when he got his car back, he drove it out into the country to see how well it worked on the open road. The sky was just a little lighter blue than his suit, clear and even, with only one cloud in it, a large blinding one with curls and a beard. He had gone about a mile out of town when he heard a throat cleared behind him. He slowed and turned his head and saw Hawks' child getting up off the floor onto the two-by-four that stretched across the seat frame. I've been here all the time, and you never known it. She had a bunch of dandelions in her hair and a wide red mouth on her pale face. What do you want to hide in my car for? He said angrily. I got business before me. 
I don't have time for foolishness. He checked his ugly tone and stretched his mouth a little, remembering that he was supposed to seduce her. Yeah, sure, I'm glad to see you, he said. She swung one thin black stocking leg over the back of the front seat and then let the rest of herself over. Did you mean good to look at in that note, or only good? she asked. Both, he said stiffly. My name is Sabbath. Sabbath Lily Hawks. My mother named me that just after I was born, because I was born on the Sabbath. Then she turned over in her bed and died. I never seen her. Uh-huh, he said. His jaw tightened, and then he entrenched himself behind it and drove on. He had not wanted any company. His sense of pleasure in the car in the afternoon was gone. Him and her wasn't married, she continued. And that makes me a bastard. But I can't help it. It was what he'd done to me, not what I'd done to myself. A bastard, he murmured. He couldn't see how a preacher who had blinded himself for Jesus could have a bastard. He turned his head and looked at her with interest for the first time. She nodded and the corners of her mouth turned up. A real bastard, she said, catching his elbow. And you know what? A bastard shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, she said. Hayes was driving his car toward the ditch when he stared at her. How could you be? He started and saw the red embankment in front of him and pulled the car back on the road. Do you read the papers? She asked. No, he said. Well, there was this woman in it named Mary Brittle who tells you what to do when you don't know. I wrote her a letter and asked her what I was to do. How could you be a bastard when he blinded him? He started again. I says, Dear Mary, I am a bastard, and a bastard shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, as we all know. But I have this personality that makes boys follow me. Do you think I should neck or not? I shall not enter the kingdom of heaven anyway, so I don't see what difference it makes. Listen here, he said. If he blinded himself, how... Then she answered my letter in the paper. She said, Dear Sabbath, light necking is acceptable but I think your real problem is one of adjustment to the modern world. Perhaps you ought to re-examine your religious values to see if they meet your needs in life. A religious experience can be a beautiful addition to living if you put it in the proper perspective and do not let it warp you. Read some books on ethical culture. You, you couldn't be a bastard, Hayes said, getting very pale. You must be mixed up. Your daddy blinded himself. Then I wrote her another letter, she said, scratching his ankle with the toe of her sneaker and smiling. I says, Dear Mary, what I really want to know is, should I go the whole hog or not? That's my real problem. I'm adjusted okay to the modern world. Your daddy blinded himself, Hayes repeated. He wasn't as good as he is now, she said. She never answered my second letter. You mean in his youth he didn't believe what he came to? Hayes asked. Is that what you mean, or ain't it? And he kicked her foot roughly away from his. That's right, she said. Then she drew herself up a little. Quit that feeling my leg with yours. The blinding white clown was a little ahead of them, moving to the left. Why don't you turn down that dirt road? She asked. The highway forked off onto a clay road, and he turned onto it. It was hilly and shady, 
and the country showed to advantage on either side. One side was dense honeysuckle, and the other was open, slanted down to a telescoped view of the city. The white cloud was directly in front of them. How did he come to believe? Hayes asked. What changed him into a preacher for Jesus? I do like a dirt road, she said, particularly when it's a hilly one like this one. How don't we get out and sit under a tree where we can get better acquainted? After a few hundred feet, Hayes stopped the car and they got out. Was he a very evil-seeming man before he came to believe, or just partway evil-seeming? Oh, all the way evil, she said, going under the barbed wire fence on the other side of the road. Once under it, she sat down and began to take off her shoes and stockings. How I like to walk in a field is barefooted, she said with gusto. Listen here, Hayes muttered. I gotta be going back to town. I don't have time to walk in any field. But he went under the fence, and on the other side he said, I suppose he came to believe he didn't believe at all. Let's go over that hill yonder and sit under the trees, she said. They climbed the hill and went down the other side of it. She a little ahead of Hayes. He saw that sitting under a tree with her might help him to seduce her, and he was in no hurry to get on with it, considering her innocence. He felt it was too hard a job to be done in an afternoon. She sat down under a large pine and patted the ground close beside her for him to sit on, but he sat about five feet away from her on a rock. He rested his chin on his knees and looked straight ahead. I can save you. I got a church in my heart where Jesus is king, she said. He leaned in her direction, glaring. I believe in a new kind of Jesus, one that can't waste his blood redeeming people with it because he's all man and ain't got God in him. My church is the church without Christ. She moved up closer to him. Can a bastard be saved in it? She asked. There's no such thing as a bastard in the church without Christ. Everything is all one. A bastard wouldn't be any different from anybody else. Well, that's good, she said. He looked at her irritably, for something in his mind was already contradicting him, and saying that a bastard couldn't, that there was only one truth, that Jesus was a liar, and her case was hopeless. She pulled open her collar and lay down on the ground full length. Ain't my feet white, though? she asked, raising them slightly. Hayes didn't look at her feet. The thing in his mind said that the truth didn't contradict itself and that a bastard couldn't be saved in the church without Christ. He decided he would forget it. There was this child once, she said, turning over on her stomach, that nobody cared if it lived or died. Its kin sent it around from one to another of them and finally to its grandmother, who was a very evil woman and she couldn't stand to have it around because the least good thing made her break out in these whelps. She would get all itchy and swollen. Even her eyes would itch her and swell up, and there wasn't nothing she could do but run up and down the road, shaking her hands and cursing. It was twice as bad when this child was there, so she kept the child locked up in a chicken crate. It seen his granny in hellfire, swole and burning, and it told her everything it'd seen, and she got so swollen until finally she went to the well and wrapped the well rope round her neck and let down the bucket and broke her neck. Would you guess me to be fifteen years old? she asked. 
there wouldn't be any sense to the word bastard in the church without Christ, he said. Why don't you lie down and rest yourself, she inquired. Hayes moved a few feet away and lay down. He put his hat over his face and folded his arms across his chest. She lifted herself up onto her hands and knees and crawled over to him and gazed at the top of his hat. Then she lifted it off like a lid and peered into his eyes. They stared straight upward. It don't make no difference to me, she said softly, how much you like me. He trained his eyes onto her neck. Gradually she lowered her head until the tips of their noses almost touched, but still he didn't look at her. I see you, she said in a playful voice. Get away, he said, jumping up violently. She scrambled up and ran around behind the tree. Hayes put his hat back on and stood up, shaken. He wanted to get back in the Essex. He realized suddenly it was parked on a country road, unlocked, and that the first person passing would drive off in it. I see you, a voice said from behind the tree. He walked off quickly in the opposite direction toward the car. The jubilant expression on the face that looked from around the tree flattened. He got in his car and went through the motions of starting it, but it only made a noise like water lost somewhere in the pipes. A panic took him and he began to pound the starter. There were two instruments on the dashboard with needles that pointed dizzily in first one direction and then the other. But they worked on a private system, independent of the whole car. He couldn't tell if it was out of gas or not. Sabbath Hawks came running up to the fence. She got down on the ground and rolled under the barbed wire and stood at the window of the car looking at him. He turned his head at her fiercely and said, What did you do to my car? Then he got out and started walking down the road without waiting for her to answer. After a second, she followed him, keeping her distance. Where the highway had forked off onto the dirt road, there had been a store with a gas pump in front of it. It was about a half a mile back. Hayes kept up a steady, fast pace until he reached it. It had a deserted look, but after a few minutes, a man appeared from out of the woods behind it. Hayes told him what he wanted. While the man got out his pickup truck to drive them back to the Essex, the Sabbath hawks arrived and went over to a cage about six feet high that was on the side of the shack. Hayes had not noticed it until she came up. He saw there was something alive in it and went near enough to read a sign that said, Two deadly enemies. Have a look free. There was a black bear about four feet long and very thin resting on the floor of the cage. His back was spotted with bird lime that had been shot down on him from a small chicken hawk that was sitting on a perch in the upper part of the same apartment. Most of the hawk's tail was gone and the bear had only one eye. Come on here if you don't want to get left, Hayes said, grabbing her by the arm. The man had his truck ready, and the three of them drove back to the Essex. On the way, Hayes told him about the church without Christ. He explained his principles and said there was no such thing as a bastard in it. The man didn't comment. When they got out of the Essex, the man put a can of gas in the tank, and Hayes got in and tried to start it, but nothing happened. The man opened up the hood and studied the inside for a while. He was a one-armed man with two sandy-colored teeth and eyes that were slate-blue and thoughtful. He had not spoken more than two words yet. 
He looked for a long time under the hood while Hayes stood by, but he didn't touch anything. After a while, he shut it and blew his nose. What's wrong in there? Hayes asked in an agitated voice. It's a good car, ain't it? The man didn't answer him. He sat down on the ground and eased under the Essex. He wore high-topped shoes and gray socks. He stayed under the car a long time. Hayes got down on his hands and knees and looked under to see what he was doing. But he wasn't doing anything. He was just lying there, looking up as if he were contemplating. His good arm was folded on his chest. After a while, he eased himself out and wiped his face and neck with a piece of flannel rag that he had in his pocket. Listen here, Hayes said. That's a good car. You just give me a push, that's all. That car will get me anywhere I want to go. The man didn't say anything, but he got back in the truck, and Hayes and Sabbath Hawks got in the Essex, and he pushed them. After a few hundred yards, the Essex began to belch and gasp and jiggle. Hayes stuck his head out the window and motioned for the truck to come alongside. Ha! Told you, didn't I? This car will get me anywhere I want to go. It may stop here and there, but it won't stop permanent. What do I owe you? Nothing, the man said. Not a thing. But what about the gas, Hayes said. How much for the gas? Nothing, the man said with the same level look. Not a thing. All right, I thank you, he said, and drove on. I don't need no favors from him, he said. It's a grand auto, Sabbath Hawk said, and it goes as smooth as honey. It ain't been built by a bunch of foreigners or niggers or one-armed men, he said. It was built by people with their eyes open that knew where they were at. When they came to the end of the dirt road and were facing the paved one, the pickup truck pulled alongside again, and while the two cars paused side by side, Hayes and the slate-eyed man looked at each other out of their two windows. I told you this car would get me anywhere I wanted to go, Hayes said sourly. Some things will get folks somewheres, the man said, and he turned the truck up the highway. Hayes drove on. The blinding white cloud had turned into a bird with thin, long wings, and was disappearing in the opposite direction.